The first reading comes from Isaiah chapter 53, 1 to 6. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He was before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, and nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 to 15 so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, can you continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness? See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self was self-ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Good morning. My name's Stephen. I'm uh, one of the ministers here. And uh, last weekend, I had, Kathy and I had a friend staying with us who was here in the, uh, to do the marathon that was happening in the city. Uh, there's a picture of the start line here. And I found it fascinating, actually, just watching her get ready for the marathon. It seems like there's a, there's a lot involved. She was excited in the days beforehand, then she was nervous. There was preparation mentally, physically. She was eating all sorts of things and then not eating all sorts of things in the days leading up to it. 
She was actually working out a, a plan at one point on a bit of paper, writing it down and, and, and sorting things out. She had different energy gels that she ate or planned to eat at, at different points in the race. Just watching it, it made me think, how would I approach a marathon if I was to do one? And before watching Gillian, I reckon I, I probably would have approached it like the original runner of the marathon who did the race without much of a plan and I, I believe he, he died at the end of it. I'm pretty sure that, that that's how it would have panned out for me, but I'm not sure I would have died at the end. I think I might have died somewhere in the middle. But now, having watched Gillian last weekend, two things stood out to me. First, I never want to run a marathon. I mean, that's a given. But second, if I ever do, I'm going to need to approach it with more planning than I I realized, with discipline. Gillian, she said something to me that just absolutely amazed me. She said for all her preparation for her first marathon, which was in Rome, she trained, she had a coach and everything. But despite all that, she got within one kilometer of the finish line. And she was very seriously thinking about giving up just one kilometer from the finish line. She said everything in her was saying, it's okay if I stop. My identity is not caught up with this. You know, I've got to experience the race. I've got to see the sights of um, Rome. I'm here in this beautiful piazza. It's fine. And she seriously felt convinced that she should stop. But two things snapped her out of it. First, she said she saw a lady sort of hitting the wall near her and it wasn't pretty and and, um, she thought, I don't want to be that lady. And then second, she knew her coach was going to be somewhere in that last kilometre waiting for her. And so she remembered her race plan, she drew on her training and she carried on and she finished. When you run a marathon, it seems to me you don't just give your attention to getting to the start line. It's not just how things begin that matter. You have to give your attention to how you run the race too. You've got to make sure you don't go too hard too early. You've got to make sure you, you drink enough at the right points in time and you get enough energy. You've got to keep yourself going mentally. You've got to remember your training Remember your plan, and then you've just got to carry on right to the end. Now, have you noticed that we keep seeing something a little bit like this in Paul's letter to the Colossians? Have you noticed that? Back in, um, back in uh, chapter 1, we saw this. When it comes to um, being reconciled to God, we see that life with Jesus starts as we see who Jesus is, what He's done for us. As we trust in Him, that's, that's when it begins. But just like a marathon, it matters that we carry on till the end. In chapter 1, verse 22, Paul says, Now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Now this is obvious to us in one sense. Of of course we've got to continue. But what's not always obvious to us for some reason is that this takes careful thought and discipline. 
like in a marathon, carrying on, it's not necessarily easy. We can miss that. Or we can misunderstand it. We can channel our effort in trying to present ourselves blameless before God rather than channeling our effort where it needs to go, continuing in faith in Jesus. Can you see the the difference between those two things? Channeling our effort in trying to present ourselves blameless before God or channeling our effort into continuing in faith in Jesus. They, They sound similar, but they're actually worlds apart. In Colossians 2 verse 5, Paul says, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Our discipline, our effort, it it needs to be channeled into continuing on in faith in Christ. And this is the recurring drumbeat that we just keep coming across in this letter. Now, if, if Gillian, if she had a stopped there in that piazza in Rome and given up, gone and got an a, a espresso shot at a cafe, on the one hand, she was right, actually. It didn't really matter. Now, she would have regretted it, and we probably would have teased her for the rest of her life. But the consequences weren't that great, really. But if we don't continue with Jesus... The consequences are eternal. We don't have forgiveness. We're not reconciled to God. We will face His judgment. And so again today in our passage, we see Paul beat this drum. He says in chapter 2 verse 6, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And this is, this is the first point today. And we could summarize it like this. Give attention to your Christian life. Give attention to how you're going to keep faith and carry on. The principal of the Bible college that I went to, he he says, he reckons we don't give much attention to the Christian life. What do you reckon? He says, we tend to think, I'm a Christian and I'm alive. What else is there to the Christian life? Which I reckon is a bit like a marathon uh, runner thinking, I'm a runner and I'm in a marathon. What else is there to running a marathon? Having watched Gillian last week, I'd, I'd say, if you want to finish the race and still be alive, there's more to it than that. Paul is saying to us here, if we want to finish life reconciled to God, then it's worth giving attention to your Christian life. In this verse, Paul talks about two ideas in three different ways. One idea is, is how you begin in Christ, how you start. And the other idea is how you, how you go on in Christ, how you continue. Look at, look at again in verse 6 where you see this. He says, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, that's the start. 
continue to live your lives in him. That's how you go on. It, It literally says that's how you walk with him. And he keeps filling out the picture of what this looks like. In, in verse 7, he says, rooted. Now, again, that's, that's the start, the foundation. And then he says, and built up in him. That's the Christian life. That's how you walk on with him. And then he says, strengthen in the faith as you were taught. This is the start again. This is how you received Christ. This is how, how you were rooted in Christ. And then finally, he says, an overflowing with thankfulness. This is what the ongoing Christian life looks about, looks like. Now, this is not about earning salvation. It's the opposite. Can you see that? Our discipline, our firmness is all about seeing who Christ Jesus is and seeing that we need him because we can't earn salvation. And just before we, we keep moving on through this letter, we really should stop here and ask ourselves, is this how we'd describe our faith? As disciplined? As firm? Or let me put it another way. If someone were to ask you, what's your race plan for faith in Jesus? You know, what would you jot, de- jot down on that bit of paper? What's your plan? This series we've called Keep Faith and Carry On, but the problem with this title is, is that it, it sounds very stoic, don't you reckon, and kind of bland. It sounds like carrying on is, is uninspiring and it just sort of means just get on with it. But actually, did you notice before Paul says their discipline and their firm faith is a delight? Did you hear that? It's a delight. A delightful thing to see. And it is a delight, don't you reckon? When you, when you look around you and you see people, you've got people around you who are strong in faith, don't you find that a delight? People who are disciplined in, in, in feeding their faith. People with a race plan for keeping faith in Jesus. They're actually a, a joy. They're uplifting. Because they're the ones who are seeing just how amazing Jesus is and just how worth it it is to keep following him. So what's your plan to keep your faith firm in Christ? What keeps you sticking with the gospel of grace as you first received it? What, what keeps you feeling it? What keeps you clinging to Jesus? I thought about my race plan and, and I realized as I thought about it that, it that it's all sorts of things. You know, it's kind of hard to, to jot down on a piece of paper. And it's, it's also been slightly different things at slightly different points in my life as well, I realized. But as I thought about it, I thought, all right, if I'm going to ask that question, I better make sure I'm able to answer it for myself. As I thought about it, I thought I could probably group my race plan under three different headings. Big picture moments, small rhythm of life kind of patterns, and the constant heart realignments that go on. Let me give you an example of a big picture kind of moment, one from the past for me. Part of my race plan along the way was I knew that if if I married a Christian, that would help me hugely to walk with Christ. Now, I know some of you don't have that, actually. Either you, you came to Christ later in life, or for some of you, you're, you're 
your partner has fallen away from Christ later on in life or for whatever reason at that point in your walk with Christ you didn't appreciate just how hard it is to keep going with Christ without the support of a, of a believing partner I, I know that's the case for, for many of you and I don't say this to make you feel condemned I say it partly so that the rest of us actually hear that we need to get around you we need to get around those who don't have a believing spouse and and cheer them on massively you know when I see some of you here without a partner and especially when you're here with your kids whether you're a single parent or you are here without a believing partner honestly I'm just delighted to see how disciplined you are it's phenomenal and there's only one thing that makes me more delighted at those times it's when I see your church family getting around you supporting you in meaningful ways helping look after the kids things like that I don't say this to dis- discourage us at all but I do say it because those of you who aren't married you need to hear this the big picture moments matter and this is a key one a race plan to keep faith in Christ means make sure you marry someone who's a fellow runner someone who's going to tell you this someone who'll say to you there should be no one more important in your life no one you love more please more live for more than Jesus Now, have you thought about where the big picture moments fit in your race plan to keep faith and carry on? There's all sorts of big picture moments like this. Things like staying married, not choosing to end it, things like that. But this is just one example of a big picture kind of moment that that keeps me walking with Jesus. But as I thought about it, I also thought there's, there's rhythm of life kind of patterns that help as well. Rhythm of life kind of patterns. Things like keeping on trying to read God's Word daily in a a relational way. Things like being a part of a community group each week. It keeps me coming back to Jesus alongside others. I've got the privilege of being a part of the young adults community group. Uh, I'm not there because I fit that category. (laughs) I'm one of the leaders. But it's a great help, a great joy being there alongside others as, as we together help each other live for Jesus. Things like being here each week right now like this is a rhythm that helps enormously for me being here means I I hear the gospel as Mark preaches it so well when he's preaching as our musicians lead us so faithfully in this in the, the songs that they're bringing to us lead us to Jesus as our service leaders work so hard to to help us think through the service as our prayers wrestle with the bible wrestle with the world around us wrestle with our lives and 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 lead us to christ as i talk with with people before and after being together regularly like this it it helps me carry on with jesus and i wanted to say you know since we church planted back in in march since we sent out the church plant, i just wanted to say i've noticed a real deliberate effort from so many of us here to be here every week that we possibly can, to, to care for each other in real ways, to welcome new people. Keep it up. 
these things, they, they help us carry on in Jesus. And it's, it's been a delight to see you doing it. There's big picture moments in a race plan. There's rhythm of life kind of patterns. And I reckon there's also the unseen heart wrestle that needs to happen as well. Constant heart realignment is needed. So an example of this for me is, is like when I feel something is, is trying to pull me away from Christ. When I, when I feel that, what I try to do is, is name it, identify it. There's a power in, in being able to identify things and label them. I name it and then I try to make sure I don't tolerate, tolerate even the small compromises. I try to recognize that it's the small steps that all add up to lead me away from trusting in Jesus. And a race plan I sometimes use is, is when I identify those things in myself that, that could take me away from Jesus. Not only do I refuse to compromise even in small ways, I also try to, try to sabotage them, undermine them. You know, if I, I find some area where I'm inclined to feel pride in my life in a way that kind of takes me away from Jesus... I try to embrace steps that will actually humble me in that area. Or if I, I identify ways that I'm, I'm experiencing greed in my life that kind of weakens my trust in Jesus, I, I try to find ways that kind of force me to be generous and kind of take an action that embraces generosity. Big picture moments, rhythm of life patterns, Constant heart realignments. That's a a tiny taste of my race plan. But what's yours? It's worth having a plan and it's worth working on a plan. It's worth sharing our plan with each other. It's worth giving attention to your Christian life. And if we don't, then we're vulnerable. And this is our, our second point. See to it that you aren't taken captive by alternatives. Look at verse 8, where Paul writes this. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Now, I don't know about you when you hear that, but when I hear that, at first, it sounds like Paul's saying there's really weird sort of spiritual ideas out there that are trying to get you elemental spiritual forces it just sounds so bizarre right and if we hear it like that then we'll probably think this we'll probably think well i don't feel like i'm in danger of that are you scared of elemental spiritual forces at night i'm not like it just doesn't feel like a real danger does it but paul is talking about a real danger to us keeping faith and carrying on here he's saying we could become captives of a way of thinking and living He says, that doesn't depend on Christ. Now, this might be really weird spiritual ideas out there. Or more likely, it might be something that's incredibly mainstream. The philosophies that he's talking about are are hollow, but they are compelling. Otherwise, they wouldn't be deceptive, right? They promise happiness and meaning and a great way of life, a full way of life, a generous joyful, moral, liberated, spiritual kind of way of life. 
a way of life that, that might even make mention of God, might even talk about Jesus, even a lot, but a way of life that doesn't depend on Christ, doesn't depend on Him. Instead, it, it depends on tradition. But again, I reckon this is, is a bit hard to get our heads around, this, what this means, this verse. Because tradition is so out of fashion. And so again, we might think, well, I just don't feel like I'm in danger of anything like that. But we need to look more closely. Now, elemental spiritual forces, it's, it's one word in the original. And, and there's actually quite a bit of debate about how to translate it. Because it could mean the letters of the alphabet. I don't think we're in danger of the letters of the alphabet. That's not what it's talking about. It could mean the elements, the, the atoms that make up the world. Again, that, that's not the danger. Essentially, this word means the basic principles. And here Paul says, the basic principles of the world. What threatens to take you and me captive is a way of thinking that depends on the basic principles of this world and not on Christ. And especially when it comes to spiritual things, this, this way of thinking says, what you need is not Christ... What you need is a code or spiritual experiences. That's what you need. Or a cause. Or what you need is a set of virtues to live by. Or rituals. Or religious actions. Or moral performance. Common to all these basic kind of, of, of thinking is what you need is you. You will bring you closer to the divine. That's what this is, this is about. This is the tradition, the, the basic principle that has captivated our world since Adam ditched God. Look at every human religion. Look at the individualistic, soft spirituality of, of our friends and, and family. They don't depend on Christ. They depend on the things they do. Have you been to a funeral lately? At every single funeral that I, I've been to, where someone is, is not a Christian, I've heard, what I've heard from the front is this tradition, this basic principle that says they are a good enough person. They, they tried enough or they were spiritual enough and so they, they go on looking down on us from above, or they go on through us, in us. And there's, a, there's an appeal to this kind of thinking that says humans really can control their own destiny. Humans, we can really reach the divine by our own efforts. But it's hollow. It's hollow. I notice over the years, there are quite a number of us, really, struggle to, to, to get that we're forgiven by God. We, we struggle to feel that, to really feel like we are fully reconciled to God. And you know what? We shouldn't be surprised by this, by this struggle. That's the basic principle of this world trying to take us captive. This thinking is just everywhere around us. It, it's in our minds and our hearts as well. Constantly telling us, don't depend on Christ. 
you need to do something yourself. It's why we need to give attention to our, our Christian life and to keep faith in Jesus and carry on. And next week, we'll see Paul talk about this more. But at this point, he really wants to show the Colossians that it doesn't actually make any sense for them to feel like they're missing out or needing something more. He wants to show them at this point that to, to try to add to Christ is like trying to add water to a cup that's already full. And so at this point in the letter, Paul spells out yet again what they've received in, this, in Christ. And this brings us to our last point, which we're quickly going to look at, where he says, in Christ we have all of God and all He wants for us. We have God's fullness and we have our fullness. Look at verse 9. Paul says, why shouldn't we be captivated by something else? For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Christ is all the fullness of God in a human person. God doesn't empty himself of divinity and become human. In Christ, he, he assumes humanity. He takes on, he, he adds on humanity. God the Son is, is fully human, but he is also fully divine. And this means all sorts of amazing things. But the point here is that when we have Christ... We have all of God. We're not lacking anything. It doesn't make any sense to go looking for more of God somewhere else. It doesn't exist. No other person or thing or ritual or religion or experience or way of life, nothing else is, is going to deliver God to you. You know, do you feel curious about other things? Maybe fascinated by meditation or Zen Buddhism or something like that, does it sound appealing? Maybe meditation might be handy or useful for stress, maybe, or maybe not. But I'll tell you what it's absolutely useless for. Absolutely useless for delivering to you a more direct experience of the divine. You can't get more full than full. And because Christ is the fullness of God, faith in Him means, verse 10, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Not only is Christ all of God, when we're in Christ, we are all we were ever meant to be. We are full. Now, this, this isn't saying we're divine like Jesus. This is saying we're not lacking anything that matters. We're not missing out. What does it mean to be truly human, truly complete as a person? We will find that in Jesus and find it nowhere else. Do you ever have this kind of experience? I've, I've had it at different points in my life where you kind of hear rumors of people having a more spiritual, a more full spiritual experience elsewhere. You kind of feel like maybe they're, they've got something more that I don't have. Maybe a more full Christian experience. Maybe it's speaking in tongues or hearing God's voice audibly. Maybe it's having spiritual experiences. Now these things might be good or they might not be. 
but I'll tell you what they're absolutely useless for. They're absolutely useless for delivering to you more fullness. Useless. You can't get more full than full. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Paul reminds them here again what this means for them. And honestly, it sounds a bit strange in our ears, don't you reckon? Look, look at verse 11. He says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. We're brought to fullness. It, it, what he's saying is as something is removed from us, something that's completely out of our hands to remove. And he explains it a bit more. He says, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Our basic God-rejecting self is put off, dies in God's eyes when we come to Christ. It's dealt with. And in fact, our complete self dies with Christ and, and what now lives and will go on living is what's found in Christ. Look at verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. This is kind of confusing to us as we read it, but the point is, it's only, it's thoroughly in Jesus that we can be brought to fullness. It's only in death with Him and in life with Him that we can be brought to fullness. Outside of Him, we have no hope of fullness because we have no way of dealing with our deepest, most basic problem. On our own, we'll always be hostile to the idea of God ruling our lives. And we'll always be unable to do anything about that. You know, people, they generally don't see the the problem with being self-ruled rather than God-ruled. Don't you reckon? People don't see the problem with being self-ruled. But that's the nature of the problem, of course. They think it's fine. God doesn't. Or sometimes if we do start to see the problem, we still approach it in a self-ruled kind of way, thinking we can fix the problem and approach God ourselves by our own performance. But you can't meditate away a problem this big. You can't erase it by any ritual or any religion, Christian or otherwise. You can't reverse it by doing good. You can't overcome it by being a spiritual person. What do we think we could possibly do to deal with ourselves ruled by our desires in opposition to God? It's got to be dealt with completely, thoroughly. And that's what Christ alone can do on our behalf. Look at what he achieves for us in verse 13. He forgave us all our sins. Our fullness comes by real and complete reconciliation with God. Look at verse 14. Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned it, he's taken it away nailing it to the cross. This reconciliation isn't by glossing over the problem, it's by dealing with it, lifting it up, nailing it to the cross. Your record, my record, everything that stands against us is taken off us and obliterated. We're forgiven 
what stands against us is destroyed and in verse 15 we see we're liberated. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In Christ, we've been brought to fullness. When we think of fullness as humans, we tend to think we, we tend to think like this, you know, meeting the right person is what will fulfill me. Or maybe getting married. Or we think things like traveling and, and seeing the world, that's, that's what's going to fill me. Or, you know, studying the right course, finishing our course, getting the right job, getting enough money, retiring, or having children will fulfill me. Or maybe seeing children leave home will fulfill me. But, but these things, they're not going to bring us to fullness, even though we're told that they will. In Christ, we've already been brought to fullness. And do you know that the sweet thing? All those other things, they themselves are brought to fullness in Christ as well. Have you ever thought about that? How you approach marriage and travel and uni and work and, and parent. In Christ, all these parts of our lives are brought to true fullness along with us. Often when people start to find things like marriage or travel or work or kids unfulfilling you know they, they they realize they don't bring fulfillment then they often go looking for more of a spiritual dimension but still all the while they miss the true depth and nature and direness of the problem the problem is we're ruled by ourselves in a way that that's opposed to god and stands against us and where we are just completely powerless to do anything about it that's why we need Christ. Do you feel that? That's what Paul wants us to feel. Do you appreciate what you've received when you received Christ? Do you feel the wonder of, of who Christ is? What he's done for us? All the fullness of God in him. All authority in him. And yet, at the cross, he dies in humiliation so that he can triumph for us. Obliterate anything that stands between us and God. He deals with the problem so completely that he can bring us to fullness. This is who we've received. It's who we're rooted in. This is the one we've been taught to be strong in faith in. This is the one we should walk with we should be built up in. This is the one who should cause us to be overflowing with thankfulness. Jesus is, is why we need a race plan. So what's your plan? What's your plan for keeping faith in him and carrying on? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for those times where you do move in our hearts and our minds to see just the wonder of who Jesus is. When we see his absolute power and authority and right over this world, and yet his tenderness, his mercy, 
His passion for us that He would die in our place to obliterate what stands between us, to bring reconciliation. Lord, move us to see and to feel the wonder of Him and to keep carrying on with Him in faith. Lord, help us to have discipline and firmness in our faith because He's worth it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.